0: Exclamation point on a near-perfect season. Mark Jr. is the monster 17, energy NASCAR Cup 17, Series 17, champion.
1: He'll never be introduced the same way again. From now on, it'll be Will Power, Indianapolis 500 winner for 2018. Checker flag, Power wow. and Pesky win it. Kyle Busch, and here comes Larson. Larson to the bottom of the track. Slide
0: job. Trying to take the lead away. Slide job. Almost The momentum! The 18! they made contact! The 18 in the wall! Right.
1: NASCAR, IndyCar, and all things motorsports. It's time for the left turn here on X106.7. Now, here's your hosts, Jacob Blair and Trevor Mater. Jacob Blair alongside me is Trevor Mater. And, Trevor, there was another good weekend of racing out at Richmond and... The playoff second round of the round of 16, and it was another interesting race at Richmond.
0: It was a uh, very interesting. You will go back to the, the first race of the playoffs in Las Vegas. There were a lot of guys, a lot of the playoff guys found themselves in trouble. Not so much this past Saturday. A couple guys did find themselves having to dig themselves out of a hole going into this week at the Roval in Charlotte. But for the most part, um, it kind of was true to the form that Susan's been all year. All of the top 12 finishers were playoff guys. As opposed to the week before where 12 of the 16 were involved in accidents
1: and it was a very straight fairly straightforward race this time around both of the first two stages won by martin truex jr caution free um, martin Turex jr had this race really won at that point but an issue on the stage two caution a uh, uncontrolled tire penalty had to go to the back and that's kind of what put him behind kyle bush and kevin harvick and in the end, it was those three that, that ran this race, and now Kyle Busch getting the win locks himself into the round of 12. And then with Martin Truex Jr., so many playoff points and another good run, he's already locked into the round of 12 on points, so now just nine spots
0: remaining as we head to their oval. Yeah, and it would take a lot of crazy stuff for Kevin Harvick to, to not make the round of 12. And it's interesting because we've talked about the last couple of weeks, how those three with Busch, Harvick, and Truex, they've all kind of dropped off a little bit, maybe – this is when we'll see other teams come forward and maybe it's not a guarantee that they're the last one standing and then they come out of Richmond and they finish one two three Brad Kozlowski had a really good race too and had himself an opportunity to win it before he finished ninth but uh, right now those are the four guys that I think are going to be the ones that have proven they're the guys to beat. Yeah, and it was uh, another uh, good runs
1: from some guys that needed some good runs looking towards the next round. Eric Almarola ended up with a top five in that fifth position. Austin Dillon, another good run for him. He ended up sixth in this one, and that really puts those two on the inside of the playoff outlook. And we're, we're going to get to talking about the Charlotte Roval in a whole segment here later in the show because it deserves that whole segment. But with this Richmond race, it, like I said, there wasn't a whole lot of drama with it. Your, your playoff drivers ran up front, and, and – most of your playoff drivers had good nights, and then there were a couple that, that struggled. and some of those guys, Denny Hamlin in that 11 car. he's the one that's in, in a big trouble right now, only able to get 16th at a track. He should be a lot better at Richmond historically has been a really good track for that 11 car. He now struggles had the incident at Vegas, and now he sits in that 16th
0: position and almost going to need a win when we head to Charlotte. Yeah, he's in uh, quite the depths. To Jimmy Johnson as well, finds himself. He doesn't—you don't necessarily have to win with the way the playoff point or the stage points and stuff work, but um, you really those two guys in particular are definitely in a hole. And Austin Dillon is really the intriguing one to me that he right now is on the inside. Um, of the round of 12 hasn't had a lot of speed this year with the exception of winning at Daytona And the last couple weeks they found something but it's gonna be interesting for him this week Not a very good road course racer and uh, the Roval is kind of a great unknown For all these cup guys and he's gonna have to come out there and hope for another consistent finish And where these drivers were at when they rolled into
1: Richmond is kind of where they stayed at because Although we talked about Denny finishing 16th, Kurt Busch finished 18th, Ryan Blaney 19th, no playoff driver was outside the top 20. So 16 of those top 20 positions were all playoff drivers. So again, not a a whole lot of drama in this race. Only 13 cars ended up finishing on the lead lap. Really the biggest incident of the race was in that first segment when Ricky Stenhouse Jr. got into Denny Hamlin. Hamlin made a great save. Yeah, that was
0: really your wildest moment of this race. Yeah, like you said, just a pretty straightforward Saturday night short track race. It went rather quickly as well when when you don't have a lot of cautions with the exception of of the end. Uh, there was only one caution that wasn't the end of a stage. So uh, the race went pretty quickly, and you don't get a lot of cars that finish on the lead lap in races like that. And uh, the cream rose to the top on Saturday night. And that's one thing I have noticed about the these short tracks, as of
1: late is everyone's saying we want more short tracks but the product that's been with these short track races has not necessarily been the best racing we've seen this year you look back at the first Martinsville race and it's the Phoenix race and these are generally races where guys you know they'll bang doors there will be some you know ruffled feathers at the end of it and we're looking at a Richmond race where we only see one caution that's not under that that stage caution these guys are getting spaced out there they're staying off of each other and it We've almost seen better racing at the mile and a halves this season.
0: Yeah, and that's something that up until this year We really hadn't seen I mean you look at some of the mile-and-a-half tracks Chicago, for example They put on a a really good show out there and we haven't seen that in years past But this year for some reason we have I still personally would want to see more uh, Short tracks, but that's just me. I think that
1: might have something to do with what we call short tracks They're, they're more they're, they're bigger They're still big enough race tracks. You, you have room to work but that That's why, like, that Martinsville race in the spring really surprised me is it was kind of run the same way as the Richmond race was this weekend. Is
0: It's Martinsville, and there was really well, no caution. They also had a ton of snow on the ground the, the day before the race, and it, weather-wise, it wasn't the most ideal conditions. But it, th- there's not a whole lot to, to talk
1: about with this race because, like we, we've said already, it was run very quickly very straightforward and and all the playoff drivers no one really ran into trouble the the guys that did like Truex with the, the penalty were able to recover which sets up a really interesting place in the point standings like we said Kyle Busch Brad Keselowski already locked into the round of 12 with those two wins Martin Truex Jr. he's locked into the round of 12 on points as he was able to pick up those Kevin Harvick he's 57 above the cut line so as we've said he's Almost locked in. He, he's not mathematically locked in, but with the way stuff works, he, he's—you can count him in the round of twelve. Yeah. Joey Logano sits, and this is where you, you can see a lot of movement, and no one's going to feel safe heading in to like the the unknown of the Charlotte Roval. Joey Logano sits 25 above the cut line. Eric Almorola, hes put together some good runs. He sits 23 above the cut line. Kyle Larson only 17. Kurt Busch—he's only 15. Chase Elliott sits 10 above the cut line. Austin Dillon, that one's the one that surprised everybody. He sits 10 above the cut line. Alex Bowman, 5. Ryan Blaney, 4. And the four drivers sitting outside that cut line right now is Clint Boyer at 4-back, Jimmy Johnson at 6-back, Eric Jones at 21-back, and Denny Hamlin at 29-back.
0: Yeah, so when you look at this, 5th through 14th are separated by 27 points. That's with with as many points that are up for grab. I mean, you can get, is it 60 is the max I believe you can get now, Um, that's not that unlikely to say that you couldn't gain 27 points on somebody, definitely there being a road course. And some of these guys, Alex Bowman, uh, Clint Boyer, Austin Dillon, not particularly great road racers either. And this is a track that, I mean, everyone's had about the equal, the same amount of time on as well. Yeah, and with the,
1: the the four drivers sitting outside that cut line now, Jimmy Johnson, although that name sounds surprising with the way he's performed this year, you're not too shocked he's no. sitting behind there. But the other three, Clint Boyer, Eric Jones, and Denny Hamlin, you are, and, and Eric Jones had a good run at Richmond. He had a, a solid run, but again, it's that Vegas incident that he had with Kevin Harvick that's got him sitting 21 back. And then Denny Hamlin, that's the one that really surprises me right now you know, if he was sitting outside the cut line at you know two back with the way that the playoff points work going into the playoffs, be like, okay, that kind of makes sense with the way he's run. But 29 back, and I don't know if he's going to have enough speed t- at, at the Roval to make up those 29 points.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, he's not a, a bad road course racer when it comes to Sonoma and Watkins Glen. He has a win at Watkins Glen, almost won at Sonoma a couple years ago. But again, with the Roval... You don't really know what to expect. These guys have all tested pretty much about the same amount of time, and it's going to be a lot different road course than than you see with with Watkins Glen or Sonoma or even some of the, the road courses that maybe these guys have ran on the Xfinity or Truck Series level. So with
1: the 12 drivers that are sitting inside right now, with the four drivers outside, who do you see being one driver? to fall out of the top 12, and which driver replaces that driver inside the top 12?
0: I think the driver that's most likely to fall outside the top 12 this week is Austin Dillon because he hasn't put together great road course statistics. Uh, you look at what he's done at Watkins Glen, it's really been kind of underwhelming. And the same at Sonoma, it hasn't had any like standout, finishes and when I look on the outside Denny Hamlin's a lot of points back but I think Clint Boyer's right there he's had some success on road courses before once Sonoma a couple years ago and he's normally pretty consistent um so he's got to stay out of trouble and it's not like he has to make up 25 30 points he's just a handful of points back so if I had to if I had to cast my votes on one guy falling out I would say Austin Dillon and one guy sneaking in I would say Clint Boyer if it
1: was just you know points given at the end of the race I think this would be more clear cut but with twenty points available. Throughout the stages, it's going to be really interesting because I think Austin Dillon can, can put together a finish that's inside the top 15 that would lock him in, but I don't know if he's going to be able to hang on to it with the stage points. So I agree with you that Austin Dillon will be one that drops out. I think Alex Bowman is going to have a lot to worry about this weekend as well in that 88 car. And I think Clint Boyer is one that can hop up there. And then I wouldn't be surprised to see. You know, it's going to be a long shot, but I would not be surprised to see Denny Hamlin pick up some stage points and maybe finish third or fourth in those stages and then close that gap up to you know, 12 to 15 points over in Austin Dillon, Alex Bowman, Ryan Blaney, and then make it interesting in the end. But I think it's going to be too much for him. But I think both Jimmy Johnson and Eric Jones could put together, again, that same idea. It's going to be the stage points that are going to determine who makes it into the round of 12. I think this race... You'll see more guys going for those stage points than we've
0: seen in previous races. Yeah, it's going to be uh, really interesting to, to see it. Definitely at the Roval, uh, interesting choice to make that the the cutoff race. I know it used to be Talladega was one of the cutoff races. They've shied away from that, and now the Roval is one of the cutoff races. And it's been an interesting round of 16
1: so far and really other than Kyle Busch winning Richmond, I don't think anyone could have predicted that Las Vegas would be your crash fest and, and your race where everyone ends up with all the trouble they had, and Richmond would be the calm one. I think a lot of people would have switched those two. And, then again, the four drivers sitting outside the top 12 right now, that's shocking. You've got some drivers inside. And, really, if you're not one of the three already locked in or Kevin Harvick, you need to be worried about this yeah. rebel coming up here this weekend
0: and you can't make mistakes i mean someone like joey logano he's sitting decent but still you can't make mistakes you can't have something go wrong um and have to catch yourself playing catch up all day well and like at richmond if if 16 of
1: the 20 guys end up inside the top 20 well, let's say at the role there's 15 that inside or inside the top 20 and you're you know if you're a, a Kurt Busch, you make a mistake, you end up in the fence, and you go back and finish 37th, that's, and yeah. everyone else has a good day, well, you're, you're going to be outside looking in with the where the points sit. So that's the NASCAR Cup Series from Richmond, and it was Kyle Busch that bested Kevin Harvick for that win. So Kyle Busch locks himself into the round of 12 along with Brad Kozlowski, your winner from Las Vegas. We'll head to the Roval here this weekend. We'll be getting into previewing that a little bit later in the show, but when we get back to the left turn, we'll turn our attention to the Xfinity Series and talk about their first race to the playoffs at Richmond. Beside <laughs> me is Trevor Mader, and Trevor, we just talked about the cup series out at richmond now we'll look at the xfinity series and this was in my opinion the better of the two races mm-hmm. for the weekend a lot of different guys up front battling for the win and it ended up being christopher bell that picked up the win at richmond
0: yeah but let's be honest that's not the guy that everybody was rooting for
1: now there was a uh, big name that decided to come out of retirement for a race and drive a junior motorsports number 88 and that was none other than dale earnhardt jr himself and This made this race really interesting because Earnhardt looked a lot better than I thought he would Mm -hmm. when this race was announced. I thought he was going to, you know, being in the equipment he was going to be in, being in his own stuff, I saw a top 10, but leading 96 laps, winning a stage, and it was kind of funny. He, uh, on the radio, said that's his first career stage win, so Dale Earnhardt Jr., uh, another milestone for his career, but looked really good and looked like he was going to be able to challenge for this win. When late, I think some of the, the Xfinity guys have been running all year. Rose a little bit above what he had, but it was a good run for Junior.
0: And now he's up to forty six in the Xfinity point standings too, because he, he gets points for those because he's no longer a full time Cup driver. But it was cool to see Junior come out and not only race but be competitive. Um, you know, he had said he made some comments before how it might be his last race, but I don't know. Maybe being able to go out there and, and compete at a track that he's always been pretty good at maybe kind of fuels that fire a little bit more when we see him back out there a couple times but um, in the end Christopher Bell able to, to get the best of Matt Tift on a late race restart and then hold off to pick up a win I believe that makes it a sweep for him at Richmond winning earlier on in the spring so he looks like right now he is probably the guy to beat I would say yeah Christopher Bell is really fast and Rosh
1: Chastain in his third and final what, what looks to be the final run on that 42 car we, we talked about him last week He ran second, another good run for him. Daniel Hemrick finished third and picked up stage one. Dale Earnhardt Jr. was fourth, picking up stage two. And then Matt Tift was fifth. Elliott Sadler, who will be retiring from full-time competition at the end of this season, he really, uh, Richmond's his home track, he really wanted to get the win, but just was able to drive to a solid sixth-place finish, but really didn't look like he had anything for
0: those top four guys. Yeah, it was pretty much the whole evening. Christopher Bell and Dale Earnhardt Jr. were kind of the the top two this is another race where Daniel Hemrick really consistent but uh still not able to find that win I thought Hemrick
1: honestly had the fastest car of the race and he just couldn't I mean it's like we've seen before and it's the one concern you've got to question Daniel Hemrick on now as we've seen it enough times is it still is it that idea that he once you get a win, he's going to be able to pick up a whole bunch more? Or is there just something about Daniel Hemrick that he can't find a way to get it done? I thought he had the fastest car, but it was just a couple restarts where he'd lose positions on the restart and have to battle back up to that third or second position. He led 35 laps. I thought he was going to be able to give a run at Christopher
0: Bell and those guys, but had to, he just fell short. You look at So you look at Christopher Bell's stats this year, 15 top 5s, 17 top 10s. Daniel Hemrick, 13 top fives, 17 top tens. The difference is Christopher Bell's got five wins. Daniel Hemrick doesn't have any. And the, the, Christopher Bell is in that Joe Gibbs
1: Toyota, which helps him a little bit. Yeah. It, it, we've seen that you know, Richard Childress just racing on, on both the Cup and Xfinity. If you look at the other cars inside that that camp, is Matt Tift is, is putting together some good runs, but he's nowhere near the consistency that Daniel Hemrick at. The three car has been nowhere to be seen this season with Shane Lee and the Dillon
0: brothers driving that one. I think Brendan Gaughan's John, they like, drove it a couple times. That's probably been when looked the best was at the road courses with Brendan Gahn. Yeah, so the the Richard Childress racing
1: crew, is Hemrick's that one guy, and Hemrick's a, the, a scary guy when you look at the points because if he can get that win, you automatically throw him in with Christopher Bell and Justin Allgaier. And speaking of Justin Allgaier, that was one of two drivers that had problems at... Richmond as both him and Cole Custer got into an accident and Allgaier was the one that took the big hit ended his night after leading 37 laps so had to fall back on those playoff points he was able to accumulate through the regular season he finished 32nd and then Cole Custer was able to rally for 15th
0: yeah and Allgaier like you said the playoff points he's still sitting pretty comfortably um not super comfortable but 21 points above the cut line my championship pick, Cole Custer, right now, he is tied with uh, Brandon Jones for that final spot. And Brandon Jones had a better finish on Friday night, so technically Jones owns the tiebreaker uh, going into the Roval this week and then the, the final race of the 2018 first round in a couple weeks. But yeah, definitely not the night that those two guys wanted for sure. So when we look
1: at Xfinity Series points, obviously Christopher Bell has locked him in himself into the round of eight. Daniel Hemrick sits 27 above the cut line, as Trevor just mentioned. Justin Allgaier 21 above the cut line, and then we'll take a pause here when we talk about Ross Chastain. He's 18 above the cut line. Other than getting the win, he did everything he needed to do in that 42 car to to put him in a position that now he's got to go back to that that four car. It's it's less equipment. It's not as quick but he's in a position where he can hang on to a round of eight spot inside that four car.
0: Yeah, I think now it benefits him with having some points to mess with over the next couple weeks, and he's been consistent most of the year. It's not like he's going out and finishing 25th or 30th, but that's been a 10th, 12th, 15th place car, but um, I I think it would really help him if he had one more race in that Ganassi car. We don't know that he will. We don't know that he won't. Um, The entry lists for the Roval at Charlotte have not been published yet. Yeah, and as 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 far as he
1: knows, and as far as the the media knows, is that was his final race at Ganassi. So we'll see if anything can materialize for him. If he's in that 42 car, and let's say he's able to work himself through the rounds and gets to the championship four, and Ganassi puts him inside that 42 car, he'll be a threat for the championship as well. So that's where all of this playoff stuff it's going to be interesting seeing which car rosh chastain ends up in currently sitting fifth 16 above the cut lines elliot sadler matt tift is sixth, 12 above the cut line tyler reddick is 11 7 above the cut line and then again as trevor mentioned brandon jones and cole custer tied there at that eighth position ryan truex is two points back austin Sindrick seven points back and then ryan reed
0: eight points back yeah and they've they've got the roval and dover left in this round um, again, the Roval, another track that they don't really know a ton about. Um, you know, Obviously, they've done a little bit of testing there, but uh, the Cup guys aren't going to be allowed to run in that race, but you might see some other guys, some ringers, maybe an Alex Tagliani or a James Davison or a Connor Daly. Maybe one of those guys jump in a car and have a chance to snag some points, but uh, it's not over yet. The only thing that looks like it's guaranteed is Christopher Bell, obviously, into the round of eight. And that's where the Roval will get interesting, as we like to be the, the entry
1: lists are not released yet, and teams have not really let in on who's going to be inside those race cars. But at Richmond, I do want to talk about one more car, and we've talked about this. I don't know what the 60 team at Roush Fenway, Fenway Racing has done to the racing world, but that car is wadded up every week. This week, it was Ty Majeski involved in another incident.
0: Yeah, those, the poor people that build those cars for them, uh, you look at their finishes this year, 40th, 34th, 28th, 34th, 37th, 34th, 38th, 33rd, 34th, 28th, 40th, 31st, 34th. And it's not that like they're super slow cars. I mean, they have a top 10, top 15 car week in and week out. But uh, they've had 5, 7, 11 races that they have ended prematurely due to crashes. And a couple of them having been their own doing. You look at Richmond last week. Ty Majewski's teammate, Ryan Reed, gets into him. And he ends up wrecking. You go back to Darlington with Austin Sindrick. Him and Ryan Truex get together early on in the race. And Sindrick ends up taking the worst end of it. And that's a a team that if it wasn't for Ford trying to develop
1: these drivers and and throwing a little bit of support at this 60 team, you wreck this many race cars, generally your seasons, you're going to have to pick and choose your races the rest of the year. It's just been a horrible year for that 60 team, and it's – Tough for for guys like Majeski and Austin er, and Chase Briscoe because Austin Cendrick is able to hop in the uh, twenty two car for Penske, but Ty Majeski and Cendrick this is their opportunity to prove that they deserve a ride in the Xfinity Series. And uh, Majeski is a great late model driver; he wins all over the country. He he deserves a shot, but he just like they they can't finish races, and at some point, it's going to get to the point where these guys are going to lose their opportunities.
0: Yeah, and it's unfortunate. Um... But I, I think this isn't the first time we've seen this with Roush, either. Their cars is wrecking a lot. Uh, you look at old Ricky House and the, the Cup Series level, and even Trevor Bain uh, tore up a lot of stuff throughout his career, and I guess still does. Yeah, as Ricky Stenhouse, uh even when
1: he's not wrecking Roush cars, he's getting into other race cars. But yes. sometimes that comes from a uh, dirt driver's background, because on dirt you uh, can get away with a little bit more of that. It's a little bit... Uh, tougher racing on the dirt side and we'll actually get to a little bit of dirt racing later on but we'll go ahead and take a quick break here on the left turn when we get back we will preview the Roval as this will probably in my opinion be the most interesting race of the NASCAR season. Welcome back the left turn with Jacob Blair Trevor Mater, with you and Richmond, now in the past. We're now looking at the Roval at Charlotte. And I keep saying Roval, and that is because it's going to be the Charlotte Oval combined with the infield road course. And if testing for this has meant anything, this is going it's gonna to be a, be crash a wild, wild weekend. Uh, so, some teams might be going through two or three cars. It's a good thing it's in Charlotte uh, because their shops are nearby if they need to go grab another race car.
0: Yeah, this could be a... a- A Weekend where a lot of cars get tore up. Uh, Just I I saw some of the videos that NBC had of of drivers testing there And I mean you're talking guys like Joey Logano Brad Keselowski that are experienced racers That have had trouble with this track Um, I've played the NASCAR heat version of it and uh, it's it's different. Um, I'm excited for this race So I am I'm really excited to see what it looks like This is the
1: most excited I think I've been for something other than like the Daytona 500 in a long time. I think this was a good move by NASCAR to just switch things up a little bit, do something different. Some people have called this kind of gimmicky and just kind of doing some, I don't think it's that at all. I think it's the perfect solution for putting a road course in the playoffs because you still, you know, you're going to get that second Charlotte race, but it's a whole different ball game out there. And the way that this course works out is you've got the really tight infield, but then when we get out to the oval, they've thrown two chicanes into this this track as well. So it's not just going to be, you know, you you exit the infield in turn one, you'll roll around turn one, there'll be a chicane on the back straightaway. Then you roll through three and four, there'll be a chicane on the front straightaway. So it's not you're going to just go all the way around the oval and then then back down. It's going to be really, really interesting, and I can't wait for it.
0: Yeah, I'm. uh, I'm really. I'm probably the most excited for this race aside from the Daytona 500 that I've been for a race since maybe the first time the Cup Series went to Kentucky, and we're talking 2010, 2011, somewhere in there. Um, Because, like I said, I've. I want to see what this track looks like. I want to see how much calamity there is. Um, It's there's some guys that aren't good. We see calamity on road courses that they run at every year so I want to see what it's like with, with the roval and uh, I believe it's 17 corners if I remember correctly
1: they, they've shoved a lot of action into a very tight put. I think it ended up being like 2.38 miles is how long it is and the oval itself is, is one and a half miles so you're doing most of the oval and then you've got the road course in the infield and with the way a roval works is you've got to be good on on both sides of it you can't you know, say, hey, I'm going to go and we're going to be really fast through one and two and three and four of the oval and then just kind of throw it out to the infield. So what's going to be interesting about this is you're you're going to have to have a road course set up on these cars. So you're not going to have the, the camber, the, the weight distribution in your race car that you have when you just say run the oval at Charlotte. So watching these cars roll around three and four and they'll, they'll be, you know, at, at decent speeds. They won't be at the speeds you would normally see at the oval, but seeing them handle a high-banked oval corner without the setup they're used to having.
0: Well, and there's a 35-degree change of elevation, too, throughout the track. And uh, there's going to be a couple spots on, just kind of looking at the layout, that I think are going to be heavy braking zones. Um, And guys are going to have to be careful there, too, because it could get really clustered. Yeah, when you look at
1: those braking zones, the, the one I've got circled, at home is that chicane on the front straightaway yeah. they've thrown in is instead of just rolling through the dogleg before that first left of the dogleg on the front straightaway at Charlotte they've thrown a chicane in there where you're going to roll into the infield and then it's a hard right before you turn back left to get to the flag stand that's going to be one of the the action spots i've got circled the one on the back stretch is going to be more of like a single file roll through it kind of like what we see a at the Rolex at, at Daytona or the, the bootleg there or the the chicane at Daytona uh, when they run the Rolex 24 there that one will act more like that but then the infield of this this track if you've watched Rovals before or like say watch the Rolex 24 it's a very flowing infield there's a lot more room this infield and you know Trevor you said you played it on NASCAR heat I've run the old version of it on iRacing where it was kind of just there they, they've Redone it to make it look better, but it's still the, the same idea through there. It is a really tight infield.
0: Well, and to me, the the toughest part of all, just playing it from a video game, not being a professional, is that last turn off of eight into nine when it's bas- it's a hard left onto the straightaway. Um, that's going to be an area where there might not be a lot of passing, but there, with it being a, a playoff cutoff race, there might be some guys that get a little over aggressive and maybe step on some toes. And and two other things about the roval is one of them
1: is because it's a roval because it's so tight and you're throwing you know, all of this into not even the whole infield because you can't use the whole infield it's only about half the infield is they they talked about this on the NBC SN broadcast at Richmond is the 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 announcers almost seemed like they had moved on to the roval before we even finished Richmond that's how excited everyone is for this but the the runoff areas that you see guys use a lot like at say Watkins Glen or Sonoma where they hey they can go off into the dirt they can use the runoff asphalt that's not here that's why I think through testing we've seen so many issues that's why I think we'll see tons of, of damage to race cars happening this weekend is there's not that runoff area
0: you make a mistake you're in the wall yeah um there's gonna be one or two guys probably on the first couple laps and it could be a playoff guy that uh, ruins their day because of unfamiliarity with the track. And it might not be of of their own doing either. We've seen that before in road course races. When you get a younger guy, like, say, an Eric Jones, who's not a super experienced road course racer, um, he might kind of up the up the ante a little bit and get aggressive. And another spot I'm looking at
1: on this racetrack is when you come off of the infield, to head back out of the oval, you don't come off of the infield section on a straightaway. You're already in turn one. So you can either make the option to, hey, I'm going to go up to the banking or I'm going to stay on the flat and that's going to get interesting with as low as these cars run to the ground, what these teams decide to do. Do they, do they want to stay on the flat to keep the, the splitter from hitting the banking, or are they going to make that harsh transition from the apron to the banking?
0: Yeah, there's a lot of questions going into this weekend. and I Unfortunately, last couple weeks I haven't had maybe the luxury to, to tune in as much to the NASCAR circuit as I would like to, but uh, this Sunday the Chiefs don't play till Monday night. i got nothing going on. I'm going to make sure to tune in to the Roval. So it's the Bank of
1: America Roval 400. It'll be Sunday at 1 p.m. on NBC. So NBC has decided that this one's going to be worth putting on the main network. It's going to be 109 laps, and I've seen that number change multiple times, too. I don't think they quite knew how long they wanted to make this race. And Well, I think somebody depended, too, on the track layout. Because they didn't have that finalized yet quite either, and it's it's going to be a— you know, I, I think again, this was a brilliant move by NASCAR to do this. People have been talking about it all year long, and unfortunately for Kyle Busch, that now means he no longer is. It is considered a new track. Kyle Busch no longer has won at every racetrack on the circuit.
0: Yeah, just when, did he just eclipse that this year? Yeah, was it was just this year, and everyone was like, was "Great, k- you have that for like." Was it Kansas? Was that the track that he?
1: It was one. It, it, I
0: think don't. It was, I think so. I'm pretty sure it was Kansas. But uh, now he's he might go out and win it. I think that was actually my pick to win it, too, was Kyle Busch. So he's um, he was the last driver to win a, a first race. He won the first cup race at Kentucky, So and he's a pretty good road course racer. So I, I think maybe he's got a really good chance of winning at every active track again. And if the cup race, we think that's
1: going to be a mess. Think about what the Xfinity yeah, race be. is going to be like. When you have guys with less experience coming in here, that'll be the drive for the Cure 200 at 2 p.m. on the NBC
0: Sports Network on Saturday. And I think the guys that probably have the best chance in the Xfinity race when you look at playoff drivers, obviously Justin Allgaier, who's won at Road America, he won at Mid-Ohio earlier this year. Austin Cindrick had a really fast car at Mid-Ohio. Um, unfortunately, Allgaier was able to out-strategize uh, Sendrick's crew at the end. And then Matt Tift had a really good run at Road America. Probably had the car to beat until, again, Allgaier's crew able to out-strategize them at the end. Those are three guys that could not so much Allgaier, but definitely Tift and Cindric could really use wins because it would lock them into the round of eight. And right now they're kind of teetering with that. Cindric's on the outside looking in. But uh, it's going to be really – that's going to be crazy. Hey, that's the
1: word. And we're using interesting, crazy a lot, but that's really the best way to describe this is – these teams have no idea really how to set these cars up they have no idea what to expect and that's why i don't normally tune in to to practices you know on a friday or or early saturday morning i'm going to be doing that this weekend because i want to see what these guys are trying to do getting
0: ready for this race i'm going to be a little preoccupied friday and saturday but i might try to to at least check in and see how things look yeah because i think we'll, we'll almost see more issues in
1: these practice sessions than we will in the race i think they'll somewhat get it figured out but then again with the race now you're no longer by yourself you're out there with 30 40 other guys and this this one's going to be a special one for nascar i feel like i think when when this race gets done there's going to be guys mad at each other and nascar is going to have a smile on their face and and everyone will realize that i think this was a good
0: decision and it could it uh, my biggest fear is that it they go out there sunday and it's a done that's my biggest fear this is a perfect storm for nascar if everything lines up you got it on nbc so you've got it on network television um sunday afternoon so you are competing with the nfl but it's a cutoff race on a track that everyone's really interested in but no one really knows anything about so a lot of people are going to tune in just to see what what's going to happen i mean what's it going to be like it's not like A track like Dover, Kansas, where it's pretty much expected, we know nothing about this track. We can't even really pretend we do. Well, and the
1: drivers that have had the opportunity to test
0: here, they still kind of throw their arms up and and shrug,
1: and the crews are going, we don't know. And I think that's that's where the, the possibility, like you said, for this to be a dud, that's where it could be is if you get two or three guys that figure it out this weekend, and no one else does, which that, that unfortunately is a big possibility. But I think everyone will be so confused and so far out there with, with what to do. It, it's just going to create for some some crazy, unexpected things to happen. If you had to pick a winner, who would you pick? I, I think it, it it's going to go to a guy that can adapt really well, and that's guys that, that are really good on dirt. So I know Kyle Larson isn't the best, you know, Road course guy, he doesn't have the best statistics for it, but I like a guy like Kyle Larson that kind of just can drive anything and drive it well, and I think that'll that'll put him above everyone else at, when they get to the racetrack. So I think Kyle Larson's a, a good shot to win this one.
0: I'm going Kyle Busch, good road course racer. Um, I think he adapts pretty well too, and uh, I think he gets it done and makes it two in a row. And this is
1: this is during you know NFL season. Normally I tape. The NASCAR race, watch the NFL games, and then come back. You know, during the afternoon games, or you know, in between Sunday night football and, and regular, you know, in that three o'clock game, and, and watch the NASCAR race in between. This one I'm going to be tuning in live for. Yeah, and that's I think where this is such a good move for NASCAR is, you're, you're this part of the season you're competing with so many different sports, so you, your fans are you know looking at. You know, I, I want to watch this. I want to watch this. I want to watch this. Well, now if if you're a NASCAR fan, you put this at the top of your sheet to do on Sunday.
0: Yeah, and like I said for me, definitely since the Chiefs are on Monday night, I'm I'm gonna tune into the to the Roval. It'll be a fun time. Yeah, and as I mentioned before, I'm gonna tune into
1: almost every single one of these practice sessions as much as I can, just to as a as someone that, that likes the you know. Numbers and the way these cars are set up and looks at it that way watching these teams really work in practice is going to be fun. So First time the cars hit the track will be at noon on Friday and all these Sessions will be be on NBCSN or on the NBC Sports app. So the cup cars will take to the track at noon on Friday, then that'll be followed by two Xfinity Series practices at 1 and 3, and then qualifying for the Cup Series will be at 4.30. And then on Saturday, you'll have the final Cup Series practice, or the second to last Cup Series practice at 11, Xfinity Series qualifying at noon, and then another Cup Series practice at 1.30 before the Xfinity Series race. And, again, I I think the practice sessions are going to be just as interesting as the racing, simply watching these guys work and and figure this this question mark out. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting. So the Roval at Charlotte will be this weekend. And, again, the Xfinity Series race will be at... Two o'clock on Saturday, the Drive for the Cure Two Hundred on the NBC Sports Network. The Cup race, the Bank of America Roval Four Hundred, will be Sunday at one o'clock on NBC. That one is one hundred and nine laps. So we'll go ahead and take a quick break here on the left turn, and when we get back, we'll throw a new segment at you. We'll call it the Mud Report. We'll talk some dirt racing around the country. Jacob Blair and Trevor Mater with you as we look now to the new segment we're going to do here called the mud report where we look at dirt racing around the country and we will start with one of the touring series that just wrapped up their season it was the United States modified touring series that's a modified touring series more around the Midwest and uh, that's where kind of where we're at so it's the one we're more exposed to and they finished up their season up at Deer Creek Speedway in Minnesota, but it was a year really dominated by the Scott brothers and Johnny Scott and Stormy Scott, and Johnny Scott ended up being your USMTS champion.
0: Yeah, we've seen in the years past with the USMTS, it's kind of the, the dominance. It doesn't stick with one guy for a super long time. Um, you go back to Kelly Shryock uh, years ago, winning a ton of races there. Al Haina had a good run for a while. Um, Kate Dillard up until a couple years ago. So it's kind of always been a little bit of a wide-open touring series. Yeah, it was really Cade Dillard and Jason Hughes that had been battling yep. between the
1: two the last couple years. Hughes retired from full-time competition, and Dillard has gone off to run late models. So this year it left it wide open for some, some new guys to roll in there, and it was Johnny Scott and Stormy Scott that ended up with the top two positions. Johnny, uh, the two brothers that I think actually are from Cameron, Missouri, here. Uh, they were originally from Las Cruces, but they— uh, run their shop out of Cameron
0: I series. interviewed one on one time I can't remember I think it was stormy I'm pretty sure yeah but really
1: when you say these guys are from somewhere they really aren't because no. anytime you talk about dirt touring series they really their hometowns their are toter that they, they run around because they're constantly traveling but Johnny Scott ended up winning that championship with 13 wins 28 top fives and 33 top tens and 37 starts so a really good season from him stormy Scott was second Rodney Sanders third Zach Vanderbeek fourth, and then Jake O'Neill ended up with your Rookie of the Year for the USMTS. He finished fifth. So we continue to look at the dirt world. we we'll now look at the Lucas Oil Late Model Dirt Series. These guys are, you know, these series are all wrapping up their season. They have about six or seven race races left, and it's Jonathan Davenport that sits atop the point standings right now. He's just under 200 points ahead of Josh Richards. Scott Bloomquist sits third. Earl Pearson Jr. in fourth. Jimmy Owens fifth. And then Don O'Neill and Bobby Pierce are tied for that sixth position.
0: Yeah, and Jimmy Owens coming off a really big win at the Knoxville Nationals, holding off Don O'Neill amongst others. Jonathan Davenport's had a, a really good year. He picked up a big win out in July at the Silver Nationals, the I-80 Speedway. Um, he's won two of the last three of those events, and the one year he didn't win it was because he wasn't there. So uh, he's had a, a really good year so far.
1: And Earl Pearson Jr. was one that picked up the dirt million. That uh, check ended up being for over $200,000 for Pearson. So the guys up top are the guys that have been running really well in the Lucas Oil late model dirt series. Some names that you know that look to be this year is Bobby Pierce moved up to run full-time in
0: the Lucas Oil late model dirt series a little bit shocked there to see him in the sixth position yeah it's been kind of an up and down year I guess for him Uh, almost won this over our nationals back in July it would have been a big win for him but uh it was his first time running that race and had a motor go south on him in the waning laps he just it's been very up and down for Bobby yeah as the Lucas Oil late model dirt series they wrap up their season they'll be at
1: Fayetteville Motor Speedway Uh, This weekend, and then they'll be at Dixie Speedway in Georgia, so North Carolina, Georgia, and then they'll head to Rome Speedway. That's all this upcoming weekend. And then October 5th and 6th, they'll have the Pittsburgher 100, and then they'll turn to uh, Portsmouth Raceway Park for the 38th Annual Dirt Track World Championship, and that will wrap up their season. Then in the World of Outlaws Sprint Cars, uh, it's been a you know, these guys are, are guys that really race all over the country and race a lot. And this season, her points again being led by Donnie Schatz.
0: Yeah, um, Donnie Schatz just kind of does whatever Donnie Schatz wants to do out there. And uh, he's, again, putting on another stellar year. And it's
1: Brad Sweet that sits second, David Gravel third, Darren Pittman fourth, and Shane Stewart sits in the fifth position. But we've seen a lot of this lately. Donnie Schatz, 19 wins this season in 61 different races that he started in in racing, that is just dominance in a, in a class.
0: Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty
1: good. That's really good. And then, unfortunately, in the sprint car world, the racing community did lose a driver this past weekend. His uh, sprint car driver, Greg Hodnett, who's won some races on the World of Outlaws, won some big races. Uh, he was in a crash over the weekend and unfortunately lost his life. And that you know it doesn't matter where you are in the racing world when you know something like this happens it hurts a little bit
0: and unfortunately in the sprint car world this is something we've seen much too often in the past handful of years even this year you go back to to jason johnson earlier on in the year um brian clausen a couple years ago jason leffler um those guys it's 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 never it's always tragic when something like that happens and you hope that that eventually we can put an end to it, but the question is, I mean, what what is there that you can do to to prevent something like this that happens? Yeah, so tough
1: uh, tough weekend for the entire you know sprint car world and the race car world as a whole. We saw uh, Christopher Bell at Richmond uh, give a, a prayer to his family, as Christopher is a sprint car driver himself. And then we'll look at the World of Outlaws Late Model Series, now the last dirt series we'll look at here on the Mud Report on the left turn and the late models in the world of outlaws it's really tight right now between mike marler and chris madden it's only four points separate these two and then b shep brandon shepherd he
0: sits 40 back yeah so it's definitely heating up there as their seasons winding down and don't count brandon Shepard out i mean 40 points that's not that's not a ton of points to make up yeah is they still have they still have about five six races
1: left they've got some big ones and then they'll have the uh, world Finals, the World of Outlaw World Finals at the Dirt Track at Charlotte later on in this uh, in November, and that will wrap up their season. So a lot of good dirt racing to end the season, lots of big specials to end the season, and uh, that will do it for us here on the left turn. For Trevor Mater. I am Jacob Blair. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll be back next week from 2 to 3 on the left turn here on X106.